0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Manchester United in the Premier League. What a huge, huge game this is now in the race for the top four and Arsenal go into it full of confidence after a surprise win at Stamford Bridge just a couple of nights ago. Uh, The feeling is good. The vibe is good. We're all enjoying it at the moment. Uh, But of course, tomorrow's game is absolutely massive. And, And if we can take three points, then by my calculations, we're right back in the race for the Champions League, which We can debate about all day, you know, is it exceeding expectations? Is it the minimum required for a club like this? We can have that debate back and forward, but we'll do that another time. Let's focus on this particular fixture, how we think it might go and how uh, we think it might, uh, of course, play out. But before we do that, um, I just want to say a few thank yous. So I want to say a massive thank you to everybody that came down to the Hippodrome Casino last night in London's Leicester Square for our live show. Organized brilliantly by Sophie out of the Highbury Squad uh, with Lee Judges TV. So Sophie, uh, Super Kevin Campbell, Lee Judges, Dan Potts, and Tom Canton of the Guna Talk TV. It was an honor to sit there and have a good Arsenal conversation with you. We might not always agree with each other all of the time, but there's so much respect there for one another's opinions. And it was, it was excellent to Um, share the platform with you thank you to you guys for inviting me down I really really appreciate it and uh, thank you to um, the guys that attended because you were all fantastic it was great to meet some of you in person uh, because I always see your names on the screen but as I always say to people we don't see the other side so we don't see your faces and and it's great to actually put faces to some of the names that we regularly see in the chat box so um Thank you all so so much really appreciate you guys coming down and your support i hope you had a good night a uh, special shout out to lynn who's uh, in the chat and was down there as well uh, our very own cream bone too uh, was there as well there was a few others as well um but i'm just seeing the names and they're prompting me as they're coming up um but yeah great to see so many of you down there and it was a really really enjoyable night um, i suffered for it this morning though because After, uh, after we finished up, I decided to stay back and have a couple of drinks just because um, I'd had one of those days where I was buzzing around like a fly, uh, work here, work there. And then I got to the Hippodrome with like, what, 15 minutes to go until we started the live show. So I just needed a bit of time to kind of chill, unwind, relax, take it all in. It was fantastic. Uh, But I paid for it this morning when, as usual, my kids decided to wake me up um, at some crazy hour of the day. Uh, I also want to say a big, big thank you uh, to Premier League Productions for having me down at the Emirates Stadium this afternoon to preview the fixture. Um, I posted a picture on Twitter um, this for me is the money shot. If this isn't a profile picture, then I don't know what is. Um, brilliant to be uh, at the carpet, uh, pitch side, looking ahead uh, to the game with Io as well, who is brilliant. Um, so thank you guys for having me as well. Okay, let's uh, let's move the thank yous on now and let's focus on the big, big game coming up this weekend. Arsenal, versus Manchester United. Let's have a look at some of the stats and facts going into this game and compare the two sides on the Premier League website, as we always do. Um, Always interesting to look at this. Um, It's fantastic. So um, it it gives you a bit of an insight into some context, I guess, around the game. Let's have a quick look. Um, Played 59 times, of course, in the Premier League. Arsenal won 16. Manchester United still way out there on 25 wins. There's been 18 draws between uh, the two clubs. If we look at the recent meetings, Manchester United 3, Arsenal 2 back in December at Old Trafford, I thought we were good value for something in that game. And I came away from that game really frustrated, um, really disappointed, felt like it was a glorious opportunity for us to take all three points um, from Old Trafford, something that we haven't done much in recent seasons. but yeah, we weren't um, we weren't able uh, to make that happen, unfortunately. And it was actually just after Ralph Ragnick had been appointed, so that announcement came out, and then Manchester United took points at us uh, out of us. Sorry, uh, at Old Trafford, is the Ten Hag announcement going to have a similar effect on United? I hope not. Um, but I, listen, people have been talking about that. I've been asked about that a couple of times today. Will the Uh, appointment of Eric Ten Hag officially sort of give Manchester United a big boost. I don't think it gives them a massive boost because he's not there yet. But what I do think it does is it kind of settles people down and it takes a bit of the pressure off and it just kind of gives United fans and the players a a bit of clarity around what's happening and how things are going to move forward. What I would say is people that are pointing to that game, At Old Trafford, and saying that the Ragnick announcement sort of helped them lift their game. I don't think they lifted their game at all. I thought they were crap that night. I really do. Um, So I thought we were we were not ruthless enough. We weren't clinical enough. We didn't take the opportunities when they came our way, and then we gave away soft goals. So I think that defeat was more of our own doing than um, Manchester United being very very good. If you look back. Prior to that, in the last few meetings, a nil-nil draw at the Emirates Stadium on the 30th of January uh, last year. Uh, Of course, Arsenal beat uh, Manchester United by a goal to nil at Old Trafford uh, back in November 2020. We beat them at the Emirates 2-0 on Wednesday, the 1st of January 2020. And of course, there was a draw at Old Trafford back in September 2019. So those are the last five league meetings between the two sides. So in that, there's one Manchester United victory. And there is two Arsenal victories and two draws. So we've actually got a decent record against Manchester United of late. Um, You have to say that. And you have to take confidence looking at the way they sort of played or have been playing for most of the season. They've never really got it together under Ralph Ragnick. And I'm not going to get into the reasons why that is. There's much better people who are much more qualified um, to sort of speak on that than I am. Um, But I just think that When it comes to Manchester United, Ralf Rangnick's come in and he's had to take on a really difficult job under really difficult circumstances. Looking at the job Mikel Arteta's inherited, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for him. But at United, there is or there hasn't been any clarity around the direction in which they want to take it. And I think as a fan, when you can't see the plan or a plan, whether you agree with it or not, that's more alarming than having a plan, maybe, um, that there's still question marks around. So United fans have got every right to be aggrieved and frustrated by the way things have panned out this season but and i'll always say this about manchester united there's a hell of a lot of talent in that squad and that makes me nervous it'll always make me nervous in such a huge game a must-win game just knowing some of the quality players that they have available to them it does make you feel wary and it does kind of give you a bit of a kick up the backside and a reminder to say that If we're going to get the points that we need from this game, we have to be at our best. We have to be somewhere close to that level. We can't afford to give too much away cheaply. It was a brilliant performance and a brilliant result at Stamford Bridge the other night. But let's be honest, we made it much more difficult for ourselves than it needed to be. We didn't sort of um, manage the game well in the periods just after we'd scored goals. The first two times anyway, Um, you know, we conceded within four or five minutes of um, of the first one. And then, of course, uh, we conceded, I think, just three minutes after we scored the second. We then settled down after the third and we were much, much better. Um, but, of course, that, that inexperience at times, it just comes through. And it's something that we've got to be wary of and mindful of. Some of you are saying in the in the chat that, um, you know, if we don't beat Manchester United, then we've undone what we did at Chelsea. It's hard, isn't it? Because... Y- You could only really sort of assess that, I think, after the weekend. So, for example, let's say Spurs go to Brentford and get beat. I don't think they will, but if they did, then a draw against Manchester United doesn't look like the worst result in the world. And I think if you'd have asked any of us going into the two fixtures, Chelsea, Manchester United, would four points do, would you be satisfied with that? You'd have probably taken it, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking for all six. You know, we've got the harder game out of the way in my opinion the game on paper that looked more daunting that looked more difficult so there's no reason why we shouldn't be going into this game full of confidence and looking to really put Manchester United to the sword and capitalizing taking six points taking maximum points and that going some way in putting right the the sort of I don't mini collapse that we had over the last three weeks or so so yeah for me it's you know it's a game that we've got to go out there and win But as I keep saying with Manchester United, you're always wary. There's a lot of quality in that team. People like Bruno Fernandes, not in the greatest form at the moment, but he's capable of moments. Cristiano Ronaldo, we all know what he can do. And we all know uh, how many times he popped up to haunt us over the years in his first spell at the club. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo has got some stuff going on at the moment. And Ralph Ragnick confirmed today in his press conference that, um, that he is available for selection. And I think you have to, I think you have to admire the man. I I really do. Listen, I'm not Cristiano Ronaldo's biggest fan. Um, obviously, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but being a father and seeing what he's gone through in the last few weeks, you can't help but really, really feel for him. Um, you know, and, and I think Mikel Arteta summed this up brilliantly earlier on uh, when he was talking in his press conference where he said that, um where he said that unless you're in that situation, I don't think you can actually fully 100% appreciate and understand how difficult that might be. And I think you're absolutely spot on. I can't even imagine um, how tough it must be for him and his family and what they're going through at the minute. If there's one man who mentally can get through this um, and can probably use sport as a way to sort of shift his focus to something else, I think it is Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he's proven that he's a mentality monster throughout his football career. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how he can compartmentalise what's happened and and shift his attention to the football. I don't think anybody will be critical of Cristiano Ronaldo if he turns up tomorrow and he isn't at his best just because of the circumstances. I hope as well that our fans um, inside the stadium, and I'm sure they will, um, do something similar to what Liverpool did, which was the, uh, the applause on the seventh minute to kind of to show uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and his family sort of that that love because, as I say, I can't even imagine how difficult it must be to come through something like that. And I think there are a lot of moments that we've seen over the last few years and a lot of things that have been more prevalent and frequent over the last few years in terms of the pandemic, in terms of people um, losing their lives sort of prematurely and all of that stuff, you can look at that and, and some of the wars going on and things like that, you look at it and you go... You know, although we get immersed in this world of football and we get engrossed in it and we feel like, um, you know, it is the be all and end all and it's absolutely everything. Actually, there are much more important things. And I'd quite like it, I think, if the Arsenal fans sort of made a gesture like that uh, to Cristiano Ronaldo. So hopefully something uh, happens uh, to that effect at the Emirates Stadium tomorrow. Let's have a look at the form guide uh, between the two sides. Manchester United have lost two of their last five with a draw at Leicester City in there as well. They Their two wins came at home to Spurs, 3-2 victory in which Cristiano Ronaldo was the man, the star, and of course a 3-2 victory against Norwich, which again Cristiano Ronaldo uh, dragged them over the line in. So he is a massive, massive player for them and... Um, Listen, it'll be good to see him back because you always want to see somebody try at least and bounce back or or find some kind of distraction after something like that. Um, But obviously, I hope his performance is awful, uh, clearly. Uh, From an Arsenal perspective, obviously, we were on that disappointing run of three defeats at Brighton Southampton and at home to, uh, sorry, of Brighton Southampton. Yeah, and of course, to Crystal Palace. But of course, we bounced back. But you've only really bounced back if you follow that on. So we did get that big result at Chelsea, a 4-2 victory that nobody saw coming. It's given us a boost mentally. I think it's given the fans a boost in terms of what they expect now between now and the end of the season, which is great. The mood around the club has lifted um, overall. But what I would say is, you know, as I just said, is bouncing back, It's only a real bounce back if you follow it on with something positive. And I think that we've got a difficult task in front of us, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be confident. And there's no reason why, if we're at our best, we can't take all three points from a Manchester United side who have been poor this season overall and and face, I think, elimination from the top four race if they're beaten at the weekend. If you compare our two seasons so far, where, of course, the league positions aren't too dissimilar, Manchester United sit in sixth while Arsenal are in fifth, Gunners have won 18 games, Manchester United have won 15. Arsenal, three draws, Manchester United, nine. They've lost nine, whereas we've lost 11. But as I keep pointing out every week when we do this, not many draws for Mikel Arteta's side this season. Uh, Average goals scored per match, the Gunners 1.53, Manchester United 1.58. But they do concede more goals than us on average. On average, they concede 1.45 per game in comparison to our 1.22. Arsenal managed 13 clean sheets. That's nearly double what Manchester United have, but they do uh, lead in the chance creation category. So that's something um, interesting, isn't it? Manchester United, lots of attacking threat, not so good defensively this season. But, um, you know, as I keep saying... It's, it's going to be a tough fixture and it's going to be really, really interesting for me to see how Mikkel approaches this for a number of reasons, which I'll come on to um, in a minute when I do uh, the uh, the tactical bit and, and the team bit. But just sort of my general feeling going into this game is is one of hope, is one of confidence. Um, I don't know that those things can always be linked because you go into a game, if, you, if you're normally looking at it with loads of hope and feeling hope, then it's kind of like, well, that suggests that it isn't a foregone conclusion that we're going to get what we need. And I, and I think that's exactly the point here. There is a bit of hope because it's Manchester United. It's still a daunting prospect. And as I mentioned, there's still world-class players in that group that could hurt us. But equally, given the result that we pulled off the other night, I think that we we stand um, in a really, really strong position. A lot of people talking about the fact that Manchester United played on Tuesday um against Liverpool, but we played on Wednesday. And I completely agree that fitness-wise, they have the advantage in that sense. The other thing, though, to look at is that we're at home, so there's no traveling for Arsenal. Um, and I guess the mental sort of fatigue issue, because that is a thing as well. I think you can get mentally tired, and I think Manchester United mentally will be in a worse place than us going into this game after a real drubbing up at Anfield, whilst Arsenal went and got a real morale-boosting victory in West London. So I think that kind of evens the playing field a little bit just in terms of United having that extra day. Just before I continue and share with you guys uh, my lineup, just a couple of requests. If you could hit the like button, I'd very, very much appreciate it. It really, really does help the channel. So please do hit the like button, get involved in the chat box. Also subscribe to the channel. If you are new, we're still creeping towards that 20K mark here on YouTube. And I'd love to get there ASAP. Uh, but I also want to turn your attention to our partners over at Football Prizes. Um, love a bit of Football Prizes. They've always got brilliant stuff uh, up for grabs. And this time it's an Emil Smith-Rowe signed and framed Arsenal shirt. Plus there's eight instant win chances uh, with that ticket. Now, Emil Smith-Rowe's uh, signed and framed Arsenal shirt is up for grabs, as I say, but the competition runs until Thursday, the 28th of April at 7.30pm. There are 199 tickets available. They're at £2.95. And although there are six days, one hour, 34 minutes and 17 seconds remaining at the time of recording, 141 of the 199 tickets have already been sold. So if you do want to jump on this, if you do want your chance to win an Emile Smith-Rowe signed and framed Arsenal shirt or one of the uh, eight instant win prizes, which include a Tony Adams signed Arsenal Mount, Alexander Lacazette signed Arsenal Montage, uh, some vouchers and some credit for the football prizes website. Then um, then get involved before those tickets sell out, because once they're gone, they're gone. Um, big shout out to Mark as well, who was uh, down at the Hippodrome last night as well. Hope you're good, mate. um hope you're well. Uh, and he says, congratulations, Jags. Uh, see, I didn't know about this, but Jags, apparently, uh, they tell me over at the hybrid squad seems to win every single thing that he enters. He's got a lot of uh, uh, <laughs> good luck in that sense. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Jags, if you get this one, mate, let us know. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he does, to be honest. Uh, what else have we got? A couple people. people. Um, Sort of talking about the game and, and talking about how the club should react to the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, thing or how the fans should deal with it, um, which I think are, you know, some really spot on comments. OK, let's go over to the team that I would pick. and You might not be surprised to learn that I, if I can find uh, what I'm looking for, here we go, have decided to stick with the same team that won at Stamford Bridge. Now, I think the game is going to pose some different challenges. And for that reason, I want to talk about this team selection a little bit because I think that there is a case that you could or should maybe make a couple of tweaks here. So let me just quickly run you through the team. For those of you that don't remember the side that started against Chelsea, Ramsdale in goal, back three of White, Holding and Gabriel. Tavares on the left, Saka on the right, Jaka, and the Egyptian Pirlo in midfield with Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, Martin Odegaard and Eddie Nketiah uh, playing a little bit further up the pitch. Now, what was really interesting about this was actually there was a lot of shape-shifting from Arsenal during this game. At times, uh, we saw Ben White move into a right-back position and we saw Tavares drop into the back line. We then saw Odegaard drop deeper into the midfield alongside Xhaka and uh, Egyptian Pirlo with Saka um, sort of operating from the right and helping out defensively. So there were a lot of sort of tweaks and there were a lot of nuances and a lot of sort of caveats to the way that we lined up the other night. There was multiple changes in game, as we've said, multiple shape shifts. And I think that really uh, worked well against Chelsea. I thought that um, I thought that we, we countered what they were doing brilliantly. We nullified a lot of their threat and we sort of forced them to play in certain areas. Having said that, there were a couple of moments where the whole Ben White at right back thing didn't really work for me. I thought that, particularly in the lead up to Chelsea's second goal, um, we needed to do more there and it didn't really work. And I thought actually in the first 20-30 minutes, Ben White struggled a little bit in that position. I also don't really like the idea of Rob Holding becoming part of a two when Ben White shifts over to that right-hand side, because I think he's significantly weaker in that shape. And You know, he's done a good job coming on, plugging holes, filling gaps uh, as part of a back three when we've needed him to. But that's what he thrives at, playing in a back three. And if I think back to what is probably uh, Rob Holding's best performance in an Arsenal shirt, it was in the FA Cup final against Chelsea um, when obviously Arsene was still in charge and we played with that back three. And, um, And he was superb in that game. And ever since that day, I've always sort of subscribed to the idea that Rob Holding is somebody who looks a lot more comfortable in a three, as do a lot of central defenders. That doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean that you haven't got anything to offer. It just means that, you know, you you seem to sort of benefit or thrive from that particular system. And I don't really like the idea of him playing as part of a two. So when we did shape shift a little bit, I thought at times it caused us a few problems. But I thought the midfield was solid. I thought that we set up in a way with White Playing slightly to the right, that allowed Nuno Tavares a bit more freedom down the left-hand side to get forward. That then allowed Emil Smith Rowe to drift in field more and get involved. We had a threat behind in Eddie and Ketia. Uh, Martin Odegaard was sensational in terms of um, sort of defensive work, pressing people, closing people down, but also on the ball as well. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to stick with what we did. But my so my big worry and my big sort of concern, and, and listen. I wouldn't drop Eddie Nketiah, clearly, because I've picked him in my team to play Manchester United. But I do worry that Eddie Nketiah is going to have a very different challenge at the weekend. And he's going to have to be mindful of that and adapt, in my opinion. So I don't think there'll be as much space in behind Manchester United, unless they're awful, as there was against Chelsea. I don't think Manchester United will be as front foot against us um, as Chelsea were going to be at home. Um And I think that that gives Eddie Nketiah a different remit. I think one of the reasons he looked so good, and again, this is not to take anything away from him the other night, was because he was able to stretch them in behind and we were able to work balls into channels that he was quite happy to run, as well as uh, chasing down what at times felt like lost causes. I mean, you think about his first goal. I know the pass from Christiansen was short. But if Eddie Nketiah isn't chasing him in the first place and he's just dropping deeper and deeper in the way that Alexander Lacazette might have to become part of the low block when you expect the ball to come back. I think that he doesn't get anywhere near that. You've got to be in the position to to sort of sniff out the danger. But then once you've realised the danger, be in a position from which you can capitalise on it, from which you can make sure that you get to the ball um, and, and cause Chelsea problems. And he did exactly that. And again, you know, the second goal that he scored on the night, again, he was in the right place at the right time because he was willing to close people down and willing to chase people. And um, and when the ball fell to him, he, he took the uh, the chance brilliantly. But I just wonder if he's going to get that type of room in behind. And I guess there will be people considering the idea of Lacazette coming back into the team. Now, Mikel confirmed today that Lacazette was training uh, but he wasn't sure how well he'd recovered from COVID. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, come match day. Also, the other option is is perhaps Martinelli up top through the middle, who I thought came on and did a really, really good job because he uh, sort of continued the work that Enketia had done with a fresh pair of legs. He kept causing people problems. He kept closing people down, making defenders feel uncomfortable with the ball at their feet. And that is very much what you want from your centre forward, particularly when the game state is as it was. But we were speaking at the live show last night um, and we were talking about how sort of the reaction to Enketia being selected ahead of Martinelli was sort of perhaps a little bit over the top at the time. And my view on it was that there shouldn't have been much surprise. Like, I know that it wasn't everybody's preference, but there shouldn't have been any real surprise at the fact that Eddie Nketiah, who's been the go-to man in the absence of Lacazette or to replace Lacazette late on in games, etc., since Aubameyang's departure, there should should have been no surprise that he was given the nod because in the centre-forward area, at least, he is ahead of Gavi in the pecking order. Um, But he, he had to take his chance and he took his chance. And I'm hoping that he can follow that up with another good display and another good performance. Listen, I like Eddie Nketiah as a guy. Um, I'm not sure that he's at the level to take us forward. I'm not sure that I would be bending over backwards as a football club to keep him rather than sort of looking into the transfer market for a striker. Um, Even if we did keep him, we'd still need another striker. There's no question about that. But yeah, look, at the, this can work both ways. You know, it can either be the, the kickstart of Eddie Nketiah's career if he continues to do well and sort of convinces people that he's at the level required. It could earn him a move elsewhere. It could prompt other club, clubs that perhaps weren't initially interested to kind of step up and look at him. So it's in his benefit and it's in Arsenal's benefit as well, um, of course, to, um, to, uh, to take that opportunity. Uh, for him to take that opportunity. I beg your pardon. I don't know what's going on in the live chat tonight. People just digging each other out. Guys, relax, chill out, um, chill out. We've all got different views. That's absolutely fine. There's no need to to go at each other. Um, Inter says, took his chance. He scored in one game, Harry. How many games has he started up top in the Premier League, um, Inter? When was the last time he started one prior to Southampton um, in the Premier League? That's what I mean. Um, you know, he he did take a chance against Chelsea. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know why people are seeking to discredit him. I'm only talking about him um, in a sort of real positive light off the back of that one performance. I've not, you know, I've repeatedly said that I don't think he's good enough. In fact, I put a game, I put a video out yesterday where I said that um, despite what happened at Stamford Bridge the other night, my view and opinion on him is still the same. It hasn't changed. And nor should it, I don't think, after a game. Um, but the, but you can't deny that he he was good at Stamford Bridge, that he did exactly what was asked of him at Stamford Bridge um, and and fair play to the lad. Hopefully he can push on from that. I saw someone else as well saying um saying that because I, I went to Emirates Stadium today to do some work for the Premier League. Um, that, uh, of course, I must be on the club's payroll again. I a little exclusive for those that were at the Hippodrome last night. I confirm that that is not the case. I'm not on the club's payroll. And the club um, employees are not the same ones on Premier League production. So um, don't worry about that. Let's see uh, what else uh, we've got um in terms of your thoughts in just a second, but I'm going to give you guys my prediction. So just to confirm, my lineup is as you were. Ramsdale in goal, Gabriel holding white, Saka Tavares, Xhaka, Egyptian Pilo in the middle, Odegaard and Ketia, and Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, we'll take some of your questions, so start popping them in the chat box um, if you could. It would be, uh, it would be brilliant. Uh, but also just a quick reminder to hit that like button if you haven't done so already. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you're new. Okay, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of your thoughts. Uh, Yo says, do you think Gabriel Jesus would be a good signing? Now, this is off the back of some reports that have been doing the rounds today, that Arsenal at the front of the queue to bring Gabriel Jesus in. Now, I've got to be honest, I've been out and about all day. Uh, I've just come back from a shoot and I haven't, dug into this as much as I'd like to before I really sort of go deep on it and really comment on it. But I do like Gabriel Jesus. I do. Um, And I think he is somebody who just needs a bit more love, just needs a bit more attention. Still very young, still got a lot of potential. And I guess, you know, sometimes we we look at managers and we say, oh, them signing players, they know it's not always a good thing. It's not always great that they sort of recycle the same Um, professionals. But I think in Gabriel Jesus' case, I think there's very few people who are in a better position to judge whether he can do uh, good things for Arsenal than Mikel Arteta, who coached him uh, and worked with him so closely at the Etihad. So if Mikel thinks it's the right decision, um, then I'm not going to push too hard against it. My only reservation would be about Gabriel Jesus is what's it going to take to get him from Manchester City. And As I always say, I think when you're buying from Premier League rivals, you tend to overpay. And is there better value elsewhere? I don't know. Um, That's something that we'll have to think about and something that we can perhaps look into when the season's done. I really don't want to get too sucked into transfer talk. We are going to discuss the reports and rumours that crop up for the time being, as we always do. But we really do start shifting our focus on the podcast to potential signings, player profiling, all of that stuff. Uh, when the season ends. But um, do I think he'd be a good signing? Yeah, I, I think he would. He's a signing I'd quite like. I think he gives you a lot of the things that Mikel Arteta is looking for. The only thing he doesn't give you for me is that physical presence that I think we're lacking at times. And I really do think that's important. I know it sounds a little bit archaic, doesn't it, when people say you need a big man up front. I don't think you always need a big man up front, but I think you need someone with a presence in the penalty area or who can come alive in the penalty area. And I do think you need options. And he's not massively different in terms of his style to Eddie Nketiah. Now, as a level, in terms of levels of player, they're, they're completely different. Gabriel Jesus, is heads and shoulders above him. He's proven that over the last few years, even if he hasn't exploded in the way that Manchester City fans hoped he would or, or hasn't gone on really to be that Sergio Aguero replacement. But I do think he'd be a good sign in. Um, but I, I still think we need an alternative option. OK, let's um, let's continue uh, through the chat. Troy says, I agree with you on the team, but why is it Pepe comes on, scores and assists and gets benched? I think that Mikel Alteta's issue with Nicolas Pepe is not what he does in the final third. I think it's what he does in the other two. Um, I think that at times we've seen him, I don't want to say struggle, but maybe. All right, let's say struggle <laughs> to sort of carry out Mikel's instructions from a defensive point of view. I've got questions about Pepe from a defensive point of view. I think we saw in the Villa game when he came on as a substitute, didn't we, that he's quite willing to come back and he's quite willing to put the yards in, but is he always a good decision maker in those positions? Is he as good as a sacker, for example, when the defensive side of the game kicks in? I don't think he is. Um, Is he as decisive in those areas? No, I think he tends to dwell on the ball a little bit. So, I actually think that Nicolas Pepe is probably the best finisher at Arsenal Football Club. I actually think that he's the guy um, who, when you need a goal, is probably most likely to give you that spark when you're talking about sort of players that are on the peripheries. But my issue with him is, I think, and I think it's probably Mikel's issue with him as well, is that in the final third, he's great, but in the other two, he's not so effective. And I think that we do try and play as a unit. I think we do try to press as one. And I think he he maybe falls a little bit short in that department, and that's why he's not in the game, getting the game time. That's just my um, my take on it. Uh, let's see what else uh, we've got. Uh, one hundred and ten years. One double Swansea fan. Do you think Arsenal are having a good season? I think we're having a, a season that has surprised a lot of people. Um, It will never be good enough for some, but we're in the top four race. And I don't think many people thought that that was a realistic possibility at the start of the campaign. But listen, I'll reserve that comment until uh, the season ends and then we can look back and assess it for sure. Um, Saswa and a couple of others have been talking about the idea of dropping Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, They say he hasn't really done the playmaking stuff since his injury and his goalkeeping is inferior to Leno if he's not playing the ball out. bit of a rest might do him good. I think that Ramsdale's form is um, leavening out a little bit. I think that when he came in, there were question marks about him and then he played and he was brilliant and he was sensational every single time he played pretty much. But I said to you guys repeatedly that this is a goalkeeper that's got mistakes in him. There were moments where his decision-making wasn't quite right. It is brave and I know overall that's what Mikel wants and that's what Arsenal are looking for in their goalkeeper. But sometimes he was quite lucky, I felt, to to allow or, or for some of those mistakes to go unpunished so in that sense um you know i get what people are saying but I, I i'm not really surprised that his forms dipped just a little bit because i think he was punching above his weight at that point and i think that raised the level of expectation with him um his playmaking stuff hasn't been as good i agree there was one good pass he played into the midfield at Stamford bridge i remember from wednesday night um, I think he picked out either Emil Smith-Rowe or Martin Odegaard, which was in the second half, which was a good ball. But I think you're right. Uh, the distribution thing has dropped off. And I think that comes with maybe his confidence taking a bit of a beating as well. I don't think the goal he conceded, the first goal he conceded at Stamford Bridge was one that he'd be particularly happy with. I said when I got home and watched the replay that I thought maybe my initial assessment was a little bit harsh um, in saying that he was totally at fault. But I still do think he could have done better. And I think that maybe confidence is, uh, is a bit of an issue for him, despite the um, despite the uh, the kind of persona that he puts across. Steve Stone says, uh, if we win tomorrow, regardless of what Spurs do, do you think we'll be favourites for the top four? I think if we win tomorrow, uh, we're in a really good position. But of course, there. Are, I still think there's going to be twists and turns in this. I really do. Um, I don't think we're going to win all of our games. I don't think Spurs are going to win all of our games and it's going to um, come down to who's better, not who's flawless. Cause neither of us, I believe are capable of being flawless. Uh, what else have we got? A uh, big hello to Raheel says, looking forward to your Premier League production video. Thank you, mate. He's just doing great things. Keep it up. Predicting a three, one win tomorrow. Um, Hannes, uh, sort of backs up the point that there was one or two uh, quality passes uh, against Chelsea the other night where Bram still showcased what he could do. Uh, Yo-Yo says, with big games coming thick and fast, you think it's unlikely that Tommy will start another Premier League game? I don't know, mate. They, they've kept us in the dark so much about this injury, haven't they? We know that it's a calf problem. We know it's the other calf, not the one he initially injured. Um, but we keep hearing that he's going to be back in the squad and then he doesn't make it. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make it again tomorrow, despite what Mikel Arteta said, uh, which is interesting. Uh, going to take a couple more uh, of your questions. Um, Harvey says, uh, do you think Saka will grow further as a player after that penalty? I'm not sure that he, it's going to like really push him on to another level because I think he's at a fantastic level already and he's, He's only on the way up. But what I would say is this. I think sometimes as a player, you can have a burden that you carry around with you. And I think sometimes to kind of get by that burden, you need to front up to it, face it and basically beat it. And I think that uh, that he did that by taking that penalty and scoring it at Stanford Bridge the other night. So I don't think it's going to like take him up to a completely different level, but I think it sort of frees him of some of the weight that he's been carrying around on his shoulders, um, which is really interesting for me. I just want to touch on uh, one final thing uh, before I let you guys go um, and give you, of course, my prediction uh, for the game. I just wanted to talk about some comments that Mikel Arteta made in the press conference today where he was asked about what happened when Unai Emery was appointed. Because if you remember back to that period, Mikel was heavily linked with the job, wasn't he? Um, And he said today in the press conference that it was very close and he suggested or or hinted or or pointed us in in the direction of the fact that the club in the end or someone within the club decided that Unai Emery was the better fit and that's why it didn't go through. I think there are, um, you know, there's an argument that Mikel Arteta wasn't ready. There was an argument that he wasn't ready when he got the job at the time he did, but I think that you know, that was a year earlier. It was a year earlier into his coaching journey as well. And I thought that Mikel Arteta um, sort of gave away a little bit more than he normally does in that press conference. So as I say, he said that uh, the deal that would have brought him to the club when Unai Emery took over, so to succeed Arsene Wenger, was very, very close. Um, And he also, I think, basically lifted the lid and said that it was the club that decided against that decision. He also talks about how timing needed to be right and all of those things. And I don't think he regrets, actually, not taking the job on when Unai did. Um, it was always going to be very difficult to follow on from Arsene Wenger. Um, and uh, and he decided, or the sorry, the club decided that he wasn't the right man at the time. But it's interesting that they went back to him, what, 18 months later, um, which shows you that perhaps the... The idea of hiring Mikel Arteta was not one that had completely gone from the table. And it was one that there were still people within the club who were campaigning for it, I guess. Um, <laughs> I knew that when I said about him not being ready at that time, that there would be a couple of comments. And as predicted, uh, Inter says he still isn't ready, as does Martin. You can you can debate that point for sure. Uh, big hello to Madavan who says, love show, Harry's going to be crazy for the top four race. And there are going to be lots of twists and turns until the game. We completely agree. Right. In terms of my prediction for Arsenal versus Manchester United. Hmm. Thinking about the team, thinking about how I think United might line up, which I think might be slightly on the defensive side again, as we saw uh, them do at, at Anfield. I'm going to go for an Arsenal win, but I'm going to go for a narrow Arsenal win because I feel like This is the type of game that it wouldn't be Arsenal if they didn't stress the absolute shit out of us. So I'm going to go for a 1-0 to the Arsenal at Emirates Stadium, a late goal um, to really give us that boost. But listen, the most important thing, um, the most important thing tomorrow, from a fan's perspective, the most important thing that we can do is go there, be noisy, be raucous, and create a real hostile and difficult atmosphere for Manchester United, who are already struggling with confidence. So if you can sort of, really get at them early on and really play with a good tempo at the start and the crowd get behind you and the whole energy and buzz within the place is a a factor, I think we've got a really, really good chance. Um, I don't think we'll keep a, well, I say a narrow win, a 1-0. Do I think we'll keep a clean sheet? Now thinking about it, probably not. So maybe that narrow win will be a 2-1. I don't know, but I I think it will be a narrow victory for the Arsenal. Um, I'm not going to flip-flop on the prediction, though. stay with the 1-0 to the Arsenal. Anyways, okay, I'm going to leave it there and uh, I'll catch up with you all tomorrow. Uh, We'll bring you uh, some post-match reaction from Emirates Stadium. Um, Thank you for all your kind comments on the video from Stamford Bridge the other night. So I'll bring you that straight after the game or as soon as I can get enough signal to upload it. And then I will bring you a full post-match reaction show when I return home. Uh, later on in the afternoon and we can break it all down reflect on it etc and then we'll do something again on Sunday morning where we will of course um, break it down in a little bit more detail and look at it once the dust has settled. Thank you all so so much for tuning in again thank you to those who came to the Hippotrome thank you uh, to those who have been really supportive of some of the work I've done today it is much appreciated Uh, thank you to every single one of you please do Hit that like button if you haven't done so already. We're about 30 likes away from that magic 100 mark. So please do hit that button and subscribe to the channel if you're new. I'll catch you all very, very soon, hopefully, to talk about an Arsenal victory over Manchester United. Fingers crossed because it's a huge, bloody game. Come on, you Gunners. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.